The Set the Pace podcast is brought to you by New Balance, the official apparel and footwear partner of New York Roadrunners and the TCS New York City Marathon. You know, one of my favorite things about marathoners is that we're not afraid to show off the fact that we run marathons. We love to let people know we love to go 26.2. And if you haven't already, you should head to newbalance.com to check out this year's official TCS New York City Marathon collection. And if you're a New Yorker out there, you can actually come check out the collection in person or even take a pair of New Balance shoes out for a test run at the New York Roadrunners Run Center, which is located at 57th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. We got tons of new colors and fits and everything from the official jacket to my go-to daily trainer, the Fresh Foam 1080 V13, which are available for sale on October the 13th. You know, one of my favorite things about my job as CEO of New York Roadrunners is that running shoes and trainers are appropriate attire pretty much anywhere I go. So I want to thank New Balance for hooking me up with a pair of those early. They're super comfortable and lightweight, which is exactly what I'm looking for. And my favorite part is that they feature the marathon logo and the color. So thank you, New Balance, for letting my New Balance gear do the talking for me. Also, the full line will be available race week right before the TCS New York City Marathon at the Expo at the Javits Center. So check it out. Thank you, New York. Today, we're reminded of the power of community and the power of coming together. Athletes, on your mark. The first woman to finish for the second straight year here in the New York City Marathon is Mickey Gorman, a smiling Mickey Gorman, and why not? 2.29.30, the time for Gritterbikes. Look at the emotion of Shalane Flanagan as she comes to the line. Pointing to his chest, pointing to the USA. He so proudly wears across his chest. A great day for Mel Kapleski. And welcome to a new episode of Set the Pace, the official podcast of New York Roadrunners presented by New Balance and Meb. How do you like that new open we've got? A great job by our production team uh, putting that together. I, I, the first time I heard it, I loved it. And of course, it ends on, on the appropriate note of Meb Kofleski winning the marathon in 2009. Wow, what a thrill of a lifetime. I did a great job of the sound bites of the thrill of Central Park coming across the finish line with the CS New York City Marathon. What a dreams come true. It was great. I loved it. Thank you to the team for putting that together. And Meb, we're kicking off another week of Set the Pace here, and we're coming off of a great weekend in New York. Um, the Bronx 10-miler was this past weekend. And, you know, for me, it's fun. I'm, I'm still fairly new in this role as CEO, so every race I do, I'm still doing for the first time. And I'd heard people talk about how great the Bronx 10-miler was presented by New Balance, and it blew me away. What a great event that is, Meb. I don't know if you've been to it, but it is just awesome. We had almost 12,000 runners show up, an absolutely beautiful day in the Bronx. And it's just this great course. It starts in the Grand, Grand Concourse, which is like the kind of central thoroughfare of the Bronx, runs up, you go about five miles, turn around, come back down Grand Concourse and finish right in the shadow of Yankee Stadium. And it was just such a thrill. I got a chance to run it. My knees feeling pretty good these days. And boy, I just absolutely love running the New Balance Bronx 10 miler. You know, Rob, people talk about half marathon and full marathon, but a double digit 10 miler Bronx is awesome. You know, it helps you train hard and smart and it's a great distance. I never got a chance to run it or have done a lot of 
10, uh, 10 mile runs, but it's a perfect distance. I think, you know, something that I, I wish I did more of when I was a professional because it just gives you a, a threshold where uh, tapering at that right fine line of uh, great pace and it's just great. So to, for you to run that Bronx 10, 10 miles is great and, uh, and you need and healthy and strong. That's a wonderful feeling. All right. Well, Meb, speaking of the Bronx, thrilled to get to our interview this week. A man who actually has a bit of a background in the Bronx, Dr. Jorge Aguilar, who is a renowned psychiatrist, mental health professional, works with young people in the Bronx. And of course, he is a runner. He completed the 2002 TCS New York City Marathon and is coming back for another crack at it in 2023. Dr. Aguilar, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Rob and Meb. It's an honor to meet you guys. Really great to have you. So I don't know how much you um, follow what we do here at New York Roadrunners day in and day out, but one of the things I talk about more than anything else is the connection between running or physical fitness generally, and mental health. And the kind of impact that being active and running can have on a person's mental outlook, the, the impact it can have on reducing the risk of depression for adults and kids. Tell me about how you've seen that in your practice. You work with young people in the Bronx who are dealing with all kinds of challenges, I'm sure, um, from a mental health point of view. What are you seeing? Yeah, you know, the, the Bronx is, uh, you know, unfortunately home to one of the poorest congressional districts in the United States. We have a lot of poverty. Um, kids, kids in our, our part of town have a lot of obstacles to overcome. Among them, we have a lot of mental illness, uh, a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety, a lot of trauma, PTSD, etc. Um, and it's, it can be overwhelming how many folks we have who need help. And, and how severe um, their illness can be. Um, and so um, in, in child psychiatry, we try to help kids overcome um, their their uh, mental illness, mental disorders, mental health issues um, through a combination of talk therapy um, as well as medications if needed. Um, but I, I feel that there's a third element that can be very helpful to patients, both kids and adults. Uh, and that's a lifestyle of, of exercise um, of, of living in a, in a, in a healthy way. Everything that we do in life is a habit and habits, the sooner, earlier we start, the better. How do you see sports to be a, a benefit to young kids? And obviously we know now as an adults, well, we should, we sign up for this marathon. We should do it for this, but <laughs> the hardest part mentally is getting out the door. How do you convince the kid to say, hey, maybe you should consider exercise, whether it's running or other sports. How, have you, how do you do that? Or how do you introduce to those kids? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel that that kids are innately wired to want to, to do something fun with other kids. Um, and so oftentimes it's a matter of eliciting that from them, uh, evoking it. From them and and getting them excited about the the possibility of of playing a sport or or doing something athletic um, with other kids and and once they do that um, they're 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 hooked. We work in New York with New York Roadrunners in the schools in all five boroughs of the city. We have a program, Rising New York Roadrunners, that 
goes into the schools and, and gives the teachers the tools to, to get kids active. We call it physical literacy, you know, a curriculum that we give the teachers to, to get them moving. And, you know, how important is it for kids to get that out of school? Because, you know, the parents in a lot of these cases, they're very busy. Uh, they are dealing with their own stresses and problems, I'm sure, in a community like the Bronx. In a lot of cases, they may not be present, right? So it, it, does, does it need to start at the school for a kid to start developing the, the tools to be physically active? It certainly helps. Um, a, lot of our, a lot of our kids have parents that are very busy, working multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet. Um, and so it's, you know, for, for many kids, the, an athletic, very healthy, sporty lifestyle is not something that they can see much at home. Um, or, you know, that, that there's the capacity for it at home. Uh, and so if, if that's something that can be provided in the school setting, all the better. You know, uh, immunity, you become, you are a product of your environment. And when you are not exposed to exercise, especially in not, not a safe neighborhood or there's a, you know, you don't feel pride, say, hey, keep on running. It's like, well, you're running, you know, because sometimes you run away from something. But how do you you know, in, in the neighborhood that you're in to be able to encourage us, you know, like the New Yorker runners, schools are important to start like for my running started yeah. in physical education class. That's the best scenario possible to make friends, to get self-esteem, to get out of the trouble. If you're doing something positive, it's going to be positive. But what would be you, the hint that you would tell the kids, hey, my neighborhood might not be, but how do you start in school? Maybe it's just that first step, getting a pair of shoes to get them going. And once after that, they get hooked on, hopefully. Yeah, it's something small that can help ignite that 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 new passion in a kid uh, in the school or in their community. Uh, I, I love the point you just made, Meb. Uh, you know, gr growing up in the South Bronx, you, you didn't see many people running around, um, but but we see kids playing basketball uh, or playing baseball in the park, um, and and that just just seeing other kids doing something can be infectious. And so it's so great that, that we can help kids get into running by, say, providing a shoe or organizing events for them so that other kids can kind of see this as well. And it turns into a domino effect, and it can be quite infectious. Dr. Aguilar, you specialize in a, a type of uh, mental health uh, therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, what is that? I've, I've heard about it a little bit, but for those who are not familiar, what, what, what is cognitive behavioral therapy? Yeah, it's, um, it's an evidence-based form of therapy um, that was developed several decades ago um, that has been proven to help um, patients with, um, with anxiety disorders or depressive disorders. It's essentially a, a, a way of teaching folks skills that that they can use to help them feel the way that they want to feel, uh, to help them overcome uh, a circumstance that that's very um, burdensome, and it's something that I've that I've done in the clinic, um, mm -hmm. and it's something that I kind of teach my athletes also uh, in the evenings, um, so so they can employ these things out on the track or or on the field. And if a, if a young person comes to you with a, a trauma of some kind, uh, family trauma or something negative they've experienced, is that, is that useful? I mean, I, you know, how do you give 
a young person the skills, as you say, to deal with some of these some of these really serious challenges that you know if you didn't grow up in a place like the Bronx, you know you may not really appreciate the the heaviness of some of the stuff these kids are dealing with. Yeah, yeah, um, you know the, the the traumas are are, are real. They're significant. And you know, CBT can be used to help folks with with PTSD and and, and, and trauma related disorders, um, and it's and it's effective, and it's it's something that doesn't work overnight. It it takes um, several sessions of practice to help kids, help people, sort of um, reframe. Um, the way that they view their trauma and that they reframe the way that they can bounce back from it. Um, and, and it's, it's a matter of, it's a couple of, it's a mix of mental exercises as well as behavioral exercises, having people do things that are more aligned with how they want to be, how they want to feel versus how they think they, they should feel. You know, there's a saying, an apple a day keeps a doctor away, but exercise is a good way to um, make exercise a habit to be the best version of yourself. I know as doctors, you like to prescribe and whatnot, but what would be the one point to say, hey, if you can, for to a kid or any, I know the age from five to 20, but get it out the door so it will help you because you can see the science part of it, of mental illness or depression or trauma. What would be that, that would to ignite that one thing for a person to go? What would be your one advice to go to? Yeah, you know, um, medicines can have side effects. Therapy can take time. Um, the benefits of exercise are immediate, and there's no side effect <laughs> unless you overdo it and you get a little hurt. Um, and and sport, sports can be addiction, you know, if you get the bug, but right. it's a wonderful addiction to exercise or to run. And you, you know, sometimes you say, I can't go around the block, but before you know it, yeah. hey, sign up for a 5K or yeah. a 10K and things like that. That's the benefit they have that immediate and yeah. also beneficial for long term. And, yeah. you know, but how do we? And, you know, to be able to trigger that, you know, we know the benefit, but in your sinus uh, view or uh, be able to push that forward, what would that be like? Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of patients come to, the, to a clinic to see a doctor because they want to feel less pain. They want to sleep better. They want to be happier. Um, they want to feel stronger. And all of these things can be obtained through regular exercise, especially through running. And it's accessible. Just takes a pair of shoes, we always say. It's not always quite that simple, but, you know, it certainly is a lot less involved than a lot of team sports in terms of the other people you need and the equipment and stuff. You, you talk about the benefits being immediate. And, like, that's, that's what I find in my personal running journey. I, I feel immediately better. Um, after a run, and then it lasts with me usually throughout the day. And, and we talk about the so-called runner's high a lot around here. And I, I try to 
explain a little bit about what that is, but I'm not a doctor. I, I don't really know like why, like, why do I feel that good? You know, can you, can you explain a little bit of like the science behind the runner's high and like what, why we're, why we're experiencing that? <laughs> I wish I could do it well. The, the, the key <laughs> word that they teach you in medical school for this is endorphins. That there's yeah. a rush of endorphins, but uh, what does that mean? I don't really know. <laughs> um, you know, it, it definitely, you know, it, it, it's, there's, there's a great sense of accomplishment that comes after a good, long or hard run um, that, that you can feel in your body. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's like, it's like your body is telling you, Hey, that was good for me. Let's do it again. And, and it, and, and obviously your body can't talk to you through words. It does it through chemical signaling. And so I think it's your own body's way of telling you, Hey, let's do this again over and over again. It was good for me. You know, being a professional runner, you definitely can feel that the natural high. And in fact, at one point, uh, I remember when we trained in Mammoth Lakes, uh, Malone College wrote, we get high with Meb and Dina. It didn't have the <laughs> best connotation, but we know what that feeling was with 8,000 feet. But exercise is a beautiful thing. You know, it's like almost leaving the house, brushing your teeth and not brushing your teeth. You know that feelings. And and the toxic that comes out of running when you say whether you run a mile or two mile or 5k is beautiful thing. And I think that's what we need to encourage people to just say, there's a better version of you. How do you mentally start starting that yeah. is huge. And I think you need to, if you know, I say for you, it says go out there and get the best out of yourself. But how do you, you know, especially kids, because run is not seen cool. It's unless you're a basketball player, football player, and things like that. What do we need to do to be able to just say, hey, just like the New York Run Running Program to say, hey, you already have the instruments, but in the less underprivileged kids to be able to do that on, a, on, the, on, the, on the environment outside. What do we need to do that to help them exercise? Because we know 50,000 participants at the New York City Marathon, we just need to get those little kids get yeah. to do that because, and it could be hopefully a good addictive um, mental game. Yeah, yeah, shoes, um, free races for kids organized races in the communities so that kids in the community can just see it by walking around, by looking out their window, exposure, exposure, exposure. And we do all that at Roadrunners and, you know, so proud to do it. I mean, my, my two favorite days as CEO have been going out to two schools, one in Brooklyn, one in Queens, and just giving away these New Balance shoes to these kids. And I mean, you see the look on their faces, these kindergartners and first graders who are getting a new pair of shoes. I mean, a lot of them have never gotten a new pair of shoes. They've always gotten hand-me-downs or something from Goodwill or something like that. And to see their faces light up, you know, is incredible. And that's, that, that, that's, that's the first step in the journey. Yeah. You know, as a Bronx kid who grew up in poverty, uh, hearing this story resonates with me a lot because... We have a big shoe culture uh, in communities like the South Bronx, uh, and unfortunately, it's 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 something that's that's tough because we can't really afford new shoes. And so, for so many kids, every year it's on their minds in the summer going into the school year. How can I get some some cool new shoes? Um, and so, here's New York Roadrunners providing brand spanking new shoes to kids, and that must feel like a birthday, like Christmas morning to some, so many of these kids. Uh, it, I, I can only imagine how inspiring that is for the children. 
you know, that story kind of resonated with me because I, I, I can afford shoes and people, you know, my teachers used to buy shoes and with the New York Order Runners and with the Met Foundation, I have done gone to schools where they're like, I can keep this because for some kids, this is the first time they own a pair of shoes, but that changes life. It done for me. We're not looking for everybody to be the New York City champion, Boston champion or Olympian. But you know the benefit of this to be a better citizens for our society. So the New York Runners have done an amazing ta- job. And for you with the medical view now, if we can spread the word to be able to do the Fifth Avenue Mile or things like that, it yeah. just is it's intriguing. And then also, also the the limits for them is endless because they can be the doctors, the teachers, the engineer with pair of shoes. In that. It would be lovely to see those kids that you have now, what would they be in the future? But, you know, uh, what would be the thing that as an ambassador for the sport or as organizers like New York Runners to in your community, what would that be that we need to do? Maybe because I know New York does beyond 250,000 kids nationwide. Um, but a pair of shoes, tell us, you know, a pair of shoes with a nine inch above the shoulder, the journey is endless. Yeah, it goes a long way. It really does. It really does. So, you know, you are a runner too. Uh, you 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 ran the marathon last year, um, planning on running it again this year. How do you take your own running journey and translate that both to the kids as well as to the adults? You have a you have a practice where you actually do some work with adults and do some kind of sports uh, mental health work with with adults as well so h- how do those things go together for you <laughs> in 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 so many ways um so you know i i try to walk the walk practice what i preach run the run yeah. exactly uh-huh. um and you know we've, we've been talking a lot about how do we you know how do we inspire more kids to run and and i i cannot help but think of my own son as we're talking about this, so I became a dad just a couple of years ago. My son is, is turning three years old in about a week. And so much of my running journey over the past year has been about inspiring him to, to run one day. Um, and, and so it, it just, it just, it, it feels running feels so much more purposeful. So, so much more intentional. Um, with with that in mind, that it's to inspire. How did you start running? I know we when you get ready for New York City Marathon last year, you did yeah. 18 miles uh, on the track <laughs> about mental barriers. I think this is very very difficult to do. And I know what would be that mental preparation for you to be able to do that if you can do that there. I know you know we're going to the five bros with the energetic people. You're gonna have it's it's gonna be incredible, especially when you when you run through your neighborhood, but is it because of safety in the area or what would you be looking for to be able to do those for kids to be able to do that? And that on the track, you know, that's a lot of laps. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, 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 I have a son, a wife, two dogs. I, I, I practice in the hospital all day and then I see athletes at night. I have a very busy schedule. And so it's very hard for me to put in the, the hours that I need to prepare for the marathon. Uh, and so often what I do is for my lunch break, for example, I'll go to the nearby track right next to the hospital and I'll just run in circles for, for an hour, uh, or I'll run to work or from work. Uh, and I can tell you that when I'm on the track, um, 
for say my lunch break or a little bit before work, a little bit after work, there are always kids there and they, they see you and they talk about you and, you know, they, why, why is that guy just running nonstop? <laughs> and sometimes they, they join in with you and they'll run with you for a hundred meters and, 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 and cheer you on or tease you a little bit and go back and forth. And, and you can feel that magic happening right there in those moments. What do you think about when you are going around a quarter mile track I guess that's 72 times or something like that to run 18 miles. I mean, I, I just can't, I can't imagine that. Like I, when I do my long runs, I've got to plot out like a scenic route where there's going to be fun things to look at and people to see and all that to go around a track. Like I, I can barely do it 12 times for a three mile run. What do you do? Like, how do you train your mind? What, what, what's, what, what do you, are you listening to music or a podcast? What do you do? Yeah, um, you, uh, you 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 have to um, you have to focus on the process and less on the result. Uh, the more you think about getting to the end, the more uh, uncomfortable it gets, the more painful it gets, uh, and so it's a matter of of just telling yourself to stay stay focused on this lap, stay focused on this mile. Um, and, and then just repeat every lap, every mile, and bringing your mind back to, to where you are. The way I look at it when I used to train was to be able to just, if I can survive on this, you know, sometimes I travel, I want to be on a soft surface, uh, not a lap, but maybe like half a mile or three-fourths of a mile. I'll do that for like 20, 22 miles. But if it's, it's a mental game to prepare to just say, hey, I'm going to unleash eventually. When it opens it up to different uh, different energy, different sights and scenery, but how do you mentally say I got to do this? Because after five laps or twenty laps, you're gonna say I'm done, you know, or I'm gonna go out and come back, do a couple of loops on on the on the road, and then come back to break it up a little bit. But tell us the importance of psychology to just says I just got to be in the moment. I got to be a mile twenty of the New York City Marathon, even though my body says, yeah. "Hey." I, my body's struggling. How do I go and move forward? So what are the, th the tasks that we have to overcome those obstacles? Yeah, fo focus, focus is huge in sports. Um, once, once the mind starts to go forward in time and thinking about the win or the loss, that's when you can start to make mistakes. Um, or, or if your mind is going backwards in time and thinking about that mistake you made or that thing you should have done, um, your, your form, your, your action becomes less efficient. And so staying present, staying focused in the right here, right now is huge in, in all sports, I think, especially in running. And so one trick, um, that, that runners can employ to do this is just focus on the breath. Focus on how that feels, the air going in and out of, of your mouth or your nostrils as you're running, um, or just focusing on how, how your body feels, your form uh, in that lap, in that mile, um, and not thinking about the next mile or the past one, just the one that you're in. How do you explain in a scientific term, if I could say, you know, I've been there when I won the New York City Marathon in 2009, I worked harder to be able to defend the title or somebody else has worked harder to run a PR. But once it starts slipping, you know, you're looking for number one or for PR or finish. Now 
it's not going your way and the negative thoughts comes up. So like I'm in second place. I can't get, I know I can't get him. So how do you avoid getting fourth, fifth, yeah. sixth place? What is going on through our head? Yeah, that, I know the highs, but what are going on in the endorphin, he said, but mm-hmm. now what are things that are going on to just say, uh, I don't have it today or I can't defend the title or run a PR? Yeah, the, the mind, this is huge, map. The mind-body connection is real and it's strong. And, and, and unfortunately, they're like two separate entities. They have different interests. And, <laughs> and you know, unfortunately, the, the, the mind is going to pressure you to sometimes, if, 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 if it goes unchecked, to do things that it, that it thinks is, it's doing for you to keep you safe, to, prevent, to, to protect you from embarrassment, finishing in last place, losing a race. Uh, or for protecting you from danger, physical danger, right? You might pass out. This is going to really hurt. Um, this might be something serious that I'm feeling right now that's hurting. Um, and and so whenever whenever that ha- is happening, um, it's it's having the effect. You know, it's it's slowing you down. It's slowing you down. And so it's a matter of being able to catch it as it's happening. This is what's happening psychologically right now. My mind is telling me these thoughts, but these thoughts are just thoughts. They're not real. Uh, as, as long as I bring it right back, don't get mad at myself for having these thoughts, accepting them for what they are, letting them come go just as they came and bringing it to what I have to do right now, which is just keep my form, keep my pace, stick to the strategy. Then the results will take care of themselves. That's Aguilar. That's uh, easy to say, but when you are running and the mind says go, <laughs> but the body says no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I try to live by the moment, but you got to scale down a little bit here and there to be able to just have that, the wall that we have mm. all have experienced, the imaginary wall. Mm. How do you, I know he said it's, your mind is telling you something, but you're not there yet. So you keep threshold over the barrier. And I have done that. I've done where I kind of broke through that barrier, but also been sometimes where I did not. Can you explain those differences for us to be able to just says, you know, I know everybody's going to feel that at one point, mile 20, you'd rather have a mile 24 than mile 18 <laughs> or 17. So you can go that extra mile over the barrier. But how do you, and, and those guys, gals and guys that are running the New York City Marathon in November, they're going to be that, uh, you know, mile 20 Bronx. It says, mine says go, but the body is saying, no way. How do you explain that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, h- hitting the wall hopefully hopefully can be prevented. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to hit the wall, um, but if 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 you've hit the wall, uh, then you know you're. I, I think you find you're finding yourself in this place where you're 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 you you you've your your strategy is you're you're now off of your game plan of whether you know to finish in a certain place or the certain time. And so the, it's, you know, Mike, Mike Tyson used to have this quote. He used to say, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and Love that means that. different things to different people. Um, but, you know, I, I think for sports psychology, that means having a plan for what to do when this happens. Um, if I've hit the wall, um, then, you know, I'm probably not going to hit that time or that place that I was intending to hit at the start of the race. So now this is what I will do. If you train properly, you should be able to not hit the wall, strategize race plans. But we humans, we're going to make mistakes. Yeah. That's why when it comes yeah. detrimental to our body and 
you know, it's time to just say, how can I get over that? You know, sometimes you have to break into yeah. next half mile or next block and things like that. And the beauty of running is your pace. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, whether sometimes uh, we're trying to win or we're trying to run in a PR or get to the finish line. If, you know, making a great strategy early on, being patient is important. But, you know, sometimes some you can be, I guess, the person next to you and you, you get competitive. Yeah. And, and then at that point, it's just things yeah. stop falling down or break down. And yeah. how do you, I know training can avoid, but mentally, how do we get into that saying, hey, what mindset do we need to be on? Yeah. Self-talk is huge in moments like this. So if you're, if you're hitting the wall and you know you're, you're not going to hit that place or time that you were hoping to hit now because your body is saying, sorry, <laughs> we've, we've hit a limit here. Um, the way you talk to yourself can give you an additional boost that you, didn't, you probably didn't know you had in you, uh, this, this extra bag of adrenaline in your back pocket. Um, and so what are those things? Different things for different people. For some people, they can be something humorous, something funny, like looking good, feeling good, I should be in Hollywood, something like that. <laughs> for some people, it can be, well, once I hit mile 20, I'm going to have a gratitude mile. Every <laughs> mile, I'm dedicating it to a loved one. I'm going to pretend my mother is right next to me. For the next mile, I'm going to pretend my father is right next to me. Uh, and I'm not going to let them down. I'm not going to I'm not going to stop. And you know, the people who are watching the race, right? The spectators. And we, of course, get the best and the most spectators of any marathon in the world here in New York. But a message to them, right? Those funny signs that they put up, those those great things to like give that runner a little bit of a laugh, especially in those last seven or eight miles, like those things can really make a difference, right? Because they, they need something at that point, especially on a hot day like we had in 2022, to break the maybe the negative uh, cycle that's going on in their brain, give them a laugh, and that can be really helpful to get into the finish line. Huge, huge. I can, I can speak for myself. Meb, I'm reading your book, and you, you described so vividly hitting the wall in your first marathon. I ran my first marathon this November. Uh, 2022, this this humid race, and I hit the wall somewhere around 14, 14.5 miles right before the Queensboro Bridge, and um, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> no one does, right? Their first time, but it 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 brought me to a stop. My body said, "It it I, I have to I have to walk right now. My heart rate is too high," and um, and and uh, you know, I felt I felt. I felt so disappointed. I felt so down. I felt like everybody was passing me. And then within a couple of seconds, a whole bunch of people on the side of the race started saying my name that was written on my jersey. And it's like I got an injection of adrenaline. And it was the most beautiful moment. And it inspired me to to to, to keep going, to trust that a second wind will come, that I will be able to keep keep going. Uh, and, and I did. You know, as uh, having the endorphin is important, but, you know, like I myself have stopped in races, whether it was at the Olympic Games in 2016. And when people chant USA, USA, it's endorphin that they give you, in, you know, a power to be able to keep going. But at the same time, it's a mind game. 
you know, how did that, you were the same person running a mile 14, what somebody said, you know, Jose Aguilar or Dr. Aguilar, keep going. It just gives you a, a spurt of energy. And I just feel like it's game of inches, whether you run a personal best or get the finish line mentally, you know, sometimes when I'm competing at the elite level, the next 30 seconds, the next 30 seconds, there's a reason why he cannot keep up with me. Now we're going the same pace to just go through that, but it's just split millisecond decision to say, I got to get away. But sometimes looking good is important. You see a camera there you're going to have to just say, <laughs> hey, I might not get the place I want, but I got to look good. But that self-talk that you just said helps you accelerate your form, your mechanics to go to the push, the pace, to that barrier. And you know, I got my PhD and my first one is what I tell people when I New York City Marathon. I didn't win the race, but I learned so much of what to do, what not to do. Yeah. And we have to learn from those lessons. Those lessons are important. And how do we apply those to make us a better version of ourselves? So what is your thing to say, you know, if you have to say two, three things to somebody who's going challenge in that moment, what do you tell them? Yeah. Yeah. At that moment, when they've hit the wall, and they've stopped or began to walk instead of running, I would tell them to, you know, allow themselves to feel that, 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 that disappointment, sadness, anger, whatever. Acknowledge that. Honor it. It's real. You feel that way for, for a reason. Don't, don't kid yourself, right? But then move on. Don't drown in it. Flip a switch from whatever that negative emotion was sadness, anger, disappointment to something like gratitude. I am so grateful for having had the, the people in my life to help me be here right now. I am so helpful to be right here on First Avenue with thousands of people who don't know me, <laughs> screaming my name, cheering me on. I am so lucky to have my, my health um, and and that that will 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 give you um, as much boost as 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 one could expect. How do you see visualization is the key to success? As a marathoner, for me, I have been there where I visualize myself running races, the hills, the downhills, mm. or being in Mammoth Lakes, no man's land. You barely see any human being, but you're visualizing yourself being in New York. How do you, see, you know, recommend or see that? I say usually it's 90% is mental on race day, 10% physical, but also, you know, to be able to say it's grateful. I am healthy. I'm able. I'm able to be here right now. You know somebody that is not able to walk, run. So how do you take those moments to be able to just say, tell those people, hey, mentally, you know, when, when you're not there or you're trying to get checked out, get them back into the game. Yeah, I love visualization. Visualization is huge. Uh, it's you know we we all do it as humans. It's 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 wired into us. It, it helped us survive as a species <laughs> to go hunt, to go escape that lion or whatever. Um, and it helps us in sports. Um, visualization as a rehearsal for your performance for your competition. This is what I will do. Uh, at the start of the race, this is what I will do in the middle of it, at the end of it. Um, it makes it easier to fall back on the plan during the race when things get hard, when you've already rehearsed it in your head the night before or for several nights before the race. It's huge. 
Volvo Cars is proud to be the official vehicle of the 2023 TCS New York City Marathon. Leading the way as the official pace car is the new Volvo EX30. This small, fully electric SUV is designed to be safe for people and the planet with a smaller CO2 footprint than any Volvo car ever before. To celebrate, Volvo is offering a special offer on the purchase or lease of a new Volvo that's just for runners who complete the TCS New York City Marathon. Visit Volvo Cars Manhattan Studio after the race for a complimentary metal engraving, a photo with the official pace car, and to learn more about how you can claim your discount for your next Volvo. That's a great offer from the friends that we've got over at Volvo. All right, it's time now for one of my favorite parts of Set the Pace. It's our 2024 TCS New York City Marathon giveaway. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe the podcast so you don't miss your chance to win a coveted complimentary entry into next year's marathon. All right, here's the question. On episode three, we spoke with Paralympian and TCS New York City Marathon champion Susanna Scaroni and gained a deeper insight into the world of professional wheelchair racing. In what year did the New York City Marathon first include a professional wheelchair division? You have until September 27th to send your answer, along with a screenshot proving that you have subscribed to Set the Pace and left a rating. You send it to the email address nyrrpodcast at nyrr.org. That's nyrrpodcast at nyrr.org. A winner will be randomly selected on Thursday, September 28th, all rules for the sweepstakes are available at nyrr.org slash set the pace. For me, during a race, visualizing can be good and it could also be a little scary. You know, if I've got too far to go to the finish line, I actually, I have to avoid visualizing crossing the finish line because then I start thinking too much about how far it is and starting to count back the miles in my head and the math you end up doing during a race, which can actually be mentally draining sometimes if you start doing math. Um, and so is it, how important is what you visualize, especially during a race and, and making it something that is not going to create a negative feedback loop, but it's that, it's that next mile or it's that just running to that one point that you can see right there and you know breaking it down so you don't get ahead of yourself in that way that can be so demoralizing. Yeah, great, great point, Rob. So you're, 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 I, I love the point you just made about visualizing the finish line when you're only halfway through this very long race and how that can slow you down, right, because of the mind-body connection. Kobe Bryant used to say that, you know, if, if there's two seconds on the clock, he wants the shot because there's a 100% chance it's going to go in unless he's thinking about what if I miss? What if we win? What if we lose? As long as his mind doesn't go forward in time and it stays right here on this shot, it's going to go in, no doubt. And I, I preach the same thing when it comes to racing. Um, stay in the mile that you're in. Stay in the lap that you're in. And that's something that you can practice through visualization. Go through all 26 miles in your visualization the night before, one mile at a time. Well said, guys. And for me, I think running is something that we can control. You know, it's hard to visualize when you're on Verzana Bridge, you know, going to Central Park. You can't do it instantly. There's no shortcuts. But patience, self-discipline, and be able to control your pace. That's the beauty of running. I think sometimes as an elite athlete, we might not be able to dictate our race. You got to cover somebody else. But being a running community, 
is the discipline and the dedication. Now you guys just, what is it called? Um, haze in the barn. Don't jump too fast. You got to be able to just pace yourself to just say, hey, I want to get to that finish line. I want to look good. But how do you, especially the first time runners, tell them that, in, ingrain that into their brain because they're going to say, I feel great. I have a little caffeine. I'm yeah. back back on my mileage. I'm going to go. I'm, the mind says, I'm ready to go. How do you, you know, tell them to be able to just control, be patient? How do you, the mind, how do you tell that mind? Because everybody's excited to be there getting going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, the best educator is is mistakes, right? It's errors. Um, that was the case for my first marathon. That What I read, that was the case for your yep. first marathon also. It's the great teacher. Um, but sometimes we get lucky and we can learn from other people's wisdoms and avoid that mistake. Um, and so what I would, what I would, what I would tell anyone running their first marathon is what you were saying, Meb, be patient. And because it's easy to forget to be patient when there are 50,000 people around you who are just as pumped as you are and there are these helicopters all around you and the national anthems being sung and you just want to go shooting out of the, you know, out of the start, um, you know, write it on your hand, get a Sharpie and write the word patience Mm. on your hand or write the pace that you want to start out on your hand and stick to that. Make it a non-negotiable, you know. I talk to people who are going to run the New York City Marathon, and I I tell them, especially if they're first-time marathoners, that the most dangerous point on our course, in my opinion, is when you come off the Queensboro Bridge, now called the Ed Koch Bridge, and you descend down, and now all of a sudden you find yourself on First Avenue. And that first mile on First Avenue, if you're human— you're going to get this surge of adrenaline and excitement because all of a sudden people are just packed five deep and the bars are going and the music is playing and it is a party. And you feel in that moment like you have won. You have won the marathon. You have gotten it done and you have so far to go. And that is a dangerous point where you really need to reel it back in and say, don't get excited, don't start going fast, don't start showing off for those crowds because you do that there and it's gonna catch up with you in the Bronx and in Harlem and certainly by the time you get to Central Park. Yeah, write that on your hand. As soon as I come off the Queensboro. Patience. Stick to this pace. No, I, I, uh, Rob. Yeah, when I when I got off the Queensboro and jumped onto First Avenue, that was the closest thing I ever felt to a rock star. <laughs> exactly. I felt that. I made that mistake. <laughs> uh, on my first one, I remember Mark Harrell from Ireland says, "Meb, be patient and just go." I just said, "I feel like a superstar." I'm like, "I got this. It's my first marathon. I'm gonna win it." And I got it down to four people. But those people that were patient before that paid a big dividend and on Central Park. Yeah. So yes, you have to write it down on your on your arms. But come on though. At the end of the day, this is New York. That's where that thrill of a lifetime is. It still is in 2005. My fastest mar- my fastest split in a marathon. You know, what I ran in high school. That was and still have 10 miles to go. But it's real. It's amazing. And if you can just be patient. Listen, learn from us because we made those mistakes and uh, you will have a wonderful finish. But at the end of the day, 
you know, you got to make your mistakes also. But yeah. if it's a period of a life to me, like a rock star, let it be because you're going <laughs> to come back and run it again. Yeah. For those who have never run a marathon before, it's 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 akin to walking into a room and your family is there to surprise you for your birthday. And they all say surprise, but it's not 10 people. It's more like 10,000 people. <laughs> It's incredible. It's a great moment, but you got to pull back. So I want to talk a little more about the work you do with kids, Dr. Aguilar. And, you know, you, you've done some amazing things outside of running. You were actually a coach of the 2009 Harlem Little League World Series team uh, that, that made Harlem and New York City so proud, going all the way, uh, you know, very deep in the Little League World Series. You've, you've been a mentor of inner city youth in a lot of different ways. What is it that you that, that you gain, and what's what, what's the, the the feeling you get from being a mentor to these kids, both in and out of sports? Yeah, Rob, it's a it's a very fulfilling part of my life. So I, I you know, I've I've enjoyed a lot of successes. I I got to go to college for free. I, you know, I got to uh, get a, a medical degree and a PhD, and I I now get to live my dream, um, being a doctor for kids in the Bronx. And none of this could have happened without a long line of mentors in my life. People who, had they not stuck their neck out for me, um, I would not have been this successful. I would not be here right now. Um, and that that left me with a little bit of guilt um, because, you know, I'm still living in the Bronx. Um, my family still lives in the Bronx. You know, I. I, I still there. There's just so many kids there that are in the same situation that I was in, and here I am, one of the lucky ones that got out, that that got that made it through, and and I always feel like I have to, I I, I have to get more kids to come along and 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 make it out of their circumstances, and I do that through mentorship, whether it's coaching a little league team, um, or or mentoring high school students, college students who are interested in medicine. Um, and also through through the sports psych work that I do, helping very young athletes become the best athletes that they can be at the high school level uh, or around that age. Well, you are the epitome of it's not where you start, but how strong you finish. I feel very similar to your story and not being able to speak English growing up in the poverty. And we are the fun few that, you know, if you go back to those people that were with you at the junior high or high school, they might be around, they might not be around and whatnot. But it's all about giving back. And, uh, you know, for me, those mentors or people who helped you kind of be there for you, whether it's the van camps for me or the Andersons to be able to help me say, hey, you got this. Or if you do this, you're going to be on the right track. If you can sing, not single out, but have one or two people that were there for you at the toughest moment, who would they be? Oh, it's always your mom, right? <laughs> it's definitely my mom every single day. Uh, along the way, um, but then it's it's hard to bring it down to just one. You know, when I was in junior high school and my grades were terrible and I had high school dropout stamped on my forehead, uh, it was my guidance counselor who put me into an at-risk program for kids uh, that helped me go somewhere safe where I flourished. And then when I got there, I was supposed to be deported because my application for for permanent residence in the United States was rejected because our family income was below the poverty line. And at that point, it was my high school baseball coach who, whose dad was a judge and saved me and, you know, helped me uh, pro bono. Um, and then in college, you know, academically, I struggled because I had a suboptimal education going to college. 
but there were you know, a, a number of professors there who saw that that my poor grades at the start of college were just a reflection of a suboptimal preparation to college, that it wasn't a, a reflection of my, my capability. Um, and they believed in me and encouraged me and gave me opportunities um, and helped me get to where, where, where I am today. I mean, it takes, you know, uh, uh, volunteers, sponsors, workers to get you that 26 points to journey. And I'm very similar to yours. You know, it takes a village, especially growing up in Eritrea where I was born. It takes a village to raise a child. If you see somebody making a mistake, you don't have to be a parent to correct them. And they are respected by that because you want to have a better society and a better future for, for all of us. And I think in the Bronx, uh, uh, Dr. Aguilera, you, to, for you to be able to be in position now to give back, to be a mentor, hey, if this guy can make it from here, I can make it also, is very important. And, uh, you know, keep up the great work. And, uh, you know, it's just amazing. And running is something that is kind of unites everybody in the community together. And uh, it's just wonderful to be able to see your work. It's an honor, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Aguilar. This is, to, to me, such a great conversation because it really brings home so many of the things that we're talking about at Roadrunners right now, the 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 importance of, of being physically fit and mental health, the, the mind-body connection that you talk about is so true. So I can't wait to, to, to work with you more, uh, to continue the conversation with you as we try to you know, help and inspire people through running, which of course is our mission here at New York Roadrunners. And most importantly, I hope we give you a better and a cooler day for the marathon this year so you don't hit the wall at 14.5 miles <laughs> and can, get, can get, uh, get yourself closer to that finish line. It was a rough one last year, so we're, we're hoping for a little bit of a better day this year. Can't wait. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Now it's time for today's Meb Minute. Meb, today we're going to talk about something we all do from the minute we are born to the minute we die, but we don't think about it very much, breathing. And when it comes to running, when it comes to a marathon, Meb, you got to get that O2 into your bloodstream. Do you think about breathing a lot during a race? Absolutely, Rob. Breathing is another important component to training, to competition, Personally, for me, I breathe calm like a yoga class before the gun goes off when I'm sitting and just close my eyes, take it all in, be in the zone. Obviously, breathing when you start in the race, your heart is pumping, your chest is, your heart rate is going up, but you got to feel comfortable, pace yourself, visualize all the way to the finish line. And sometimes as a competitor, for me, I breathe harder just because to tease other people. So, oh, maybe it's tired and they can make a move. But guess what? I'm going to take over as soon as you start breathing harder. So it is very crucial to breathe, be in the moment and visualize yourself all the way to the finish line. Meb talking about some decoy breathing there, breathing hard so the opponents think he's tired and then turning it on later. That That is taking it to another level. All right. We'll have another Meb Minute every single episode of Set the Pace. All right, we have yet again reached the finish line of Set the Pace. I want to thank our terrific guest, Dr. Jorge Aguilar, and as always, my fantastic co-host, Meb Kofleski. Meb, let's do it again next week. Sounds awesome. And remember, please spread the word about Set the Pace. You got to give it a rating, five stars, we hope. Leave a review for us. Post it on social. Tell your friends. Tell your running club. Tell everybody you know. Uh, hopefully, you're enjoying it. We got some folks tell us they loved binge listening to it during some of their long runs this week. So please let the world know and we'd love to have you back next week. We'll see you then.